Hi everyone, Michael Ray and Reham again for episode six of Awoke Blokes. And on tonight or today's uh, episode, depending on which hemisphere you're in, we will be talking about discipline. I'm super excited to talk about this topic, uh, Michael, because I know that you have expansive knowledge on this topic in particular, um, especially with the degree that you're working on in psychology. So why don't you share with us a bit more about like, are there parenting styles that are more common than others, ones that are better uh, serving, uh, you know, children from a parenting perspective than others? Are there types of disciplinary styles that we should consider looking at as parents? Give us a quick overview of what it is that comes under the umbrella of discipline when it comes to parenting and child and, and child rearing. Okay, well, as far as parenting styles goes, to keep it simple, there are basically only four parenting styles, authoritarian, authoritative, permissive, and negligent. Now, one of the funny things is with uh, these parenting styles, the studies show that there's a, a wider variance of parenting styles between women than what there is between women and men. So we hear a lot about dad's you know, having different, we do it differently to mothers. Well, mothers do it more differently to other mothers than what dads do it differently to mums. Out of those four different parenting styles, the one that has the best outcomes is the authoritative ones. So authoritative involves clear rules, boundaries, but a lot of self-efficacy and um, self-determination. Authoritarian is a lot of control, manipulation, do this, do that, follow the orders, consequences. The permissive one means that basically you've got the tail wagging the dog with the child running everything. You know, little Johnny wants this, gets this. Little Susie doesn't want to go to bed, so we soothe her and placate her and let her stay up a little bit later until she's happy. And the negligent one is basically a withdrawn, detached, um, you know, kid, kids on your own, don't interrupt me. Everything's a bit of a hassle with you. You can see how the negative styles of the authoritarian, the permissive and the negligent could impact. But the authoritative one, the reason that has so good, it sets them up for society, sets them up for self-efficacy, self-regulation. They learn that there are, clear consequences to their actions and it gives them the opportunity to practice making decisions while you're still there with the guardrails on to make sure that nothing bad happens from it. So there's a fair bit of um, self-reliance that is built and a little bit of resilience that is built by letting them fail. Whereas with the authoritarian ones, the chance to fail isn't very, very good. They're scared to make decisions on their own for fear of being um, reprimanded or having um, affection withdrawn or it's a very conditional and transactional style of parenting. The permissive one is basically what we would call leads to spoilt kids, kids who don't do well, kids who don't do well in groups, kids who find it hard to participate in social settings and educational settings such as school and the negligent one, it's just sad where um, kids will struggle to feel worth and value as they grow older to feel worthy of anything 
So yeah, definitely an authoritative style of parenting is is the one to go for. For for any of our listeners uh, who haven't heard that distinction, I'm sure that's profoundly eye opening, because many parents might mesh between. Uh, or, or fluidly move between the different types of parenting styles, not knowing that there are clear, healthy boundaries around, uh, for example, authoritative uh, parenting, as you were mentioning, that creates this holistic, healthy, confident, uh, self-conscious, um, decisive, critical thinking child. And one, one thing that really happens, as you say, it's very easy to slip from one style into the other, but it's where we spend the majority of our time that matters. So it's very easy to slip from the optimal authoritative into the less than optimal authoritarian when you're pressed for time, when you're stressed, when you've got a deadline, when you have to be somewhere, go and put your shoes on, clean your room up, do this now and hurry up because we've got to go. Straight away, you've gone from the authoritative approach would be okay after you've finished that because depending on what age your kid is developmentally whether they can tell time or not is once you've finished your breakfast I need you to get ready for school so big ticket items I don't need you to put your shoes on put your socks on all the rest of it which would be an authoritarian one I need you to get ready for school and we've got to be out the door by 8 30 can can you manage that is there anything you need help with Whereas the authoritarian one would be right. Do this now, do that now, quick, we've got to go, hurry up. The permissive one would be, oh, but mum, I don't want to go to school. Well, you know what? I don't want to argue with you. I'm stressed. I've got a lot on at work. I'm working from home, homeschooling. Okay, you don't have to go and that way you'll be happy. They will continually seek to push the boundary until they find that boundary where it's, you know what? Finally, I'm being told what to do because a lot of anxiety for children can come from being overwhelmed with choices, being in control 100% of their own destiny when they don't know. Yeah. And the negative one would just be disinterested and disattached. So we can slip from one end to the other, but just a little bit of self-reflection and go, right, how can I set up the day where I can be authoritative without being authoritarian? So it comes back to you. A lot of our parenting seems to be judged on our children he's this she's that I've got to do this because they're like that too often we judge our parenting on its intention rather than its outcome and when I hear I told you a hundred times or I tell him a hundred times and he doesn't listen the problem's not with him not listening it's with you not finding a way to explain it that he's going to achieve the outcome that you're after. So you've got to be a little bit of a detective. What need aren't you meeting with that child? Because between every behavior, there's a need and it might be a need for attention. The after school meltdown and the madness that goes on. This poor kid's been sitting in school, sitting still, listening, having to control himself. And now out of school, he's ready to explode all of that nervous energy. So Get, get your expectations in alignment with reality and go, you know what? He's going to go mad for the first hour. How can I facilitate it? How can I encourage it rather than try and push back against it? Because force creates resistance. Yes. And, you know, it's just 
whether it's stopping at the park on the way home if you have time, whether it's, you know, organising the snack outside for when you get home. But it's, it's being a facilitator rather than a controller. Profound. Being a facilitator versus a controller. So that's clearly the distinction between authoritative and, author and authoritarian parenting, as you've just explained. And what, it, what I see happens with my son, for example, and with children um, that I work with, is that it gives them that sense of calmness. It gives them that sense of being heard. So when they feel heard, they listen. When they feel seen, they can witness they can be involved, they can be in the moment, instead of jumping from this point to this point to this point, or not listening completely and disregarding um, a parent or uh, a request from a parent, or, or rebelling altogether, if they're feeling like they're not part of the decision making, age appropriately, of course, absolutely makes sense. Yeah. So when, when we look at the, the true meaning of discipline, it's to teach. So it, it's not to reprimand, it's not to inflict thing, but a, a discipline is a, is a um, way of doing something. So just as there are different disciplines in meditation, different disciplines of karate, different disciplines of math, to discipline is, is to teach. And, and that's what we need to do with, with our children. They're trying to make sense of the world and they're trying to find out cause and effect. As I was saying before we started recording, that kid dropping the, your bub dropping the spoon off the high chair and you picking it up and it happening over and over and over, suddenly that child developmentally has realised cause and effect. Suddenly I can have some impact and control in this world. I do this, dad or mum does that. This is a great game. So... And, and that's that's what kids are constantly doing. They're learning about the world and the environment that they're operating in. And by putting negative consequences attached to some things, sometimes the kids don't attach the negative the negative outcome to the action that led to it. And to draw the line between it, and then suddenly our our love becomes conditional and coercive. We, you do this and I'll do that. You do this and I'll think you're a good boy. You do that and I'll love you. You're a good girl. You behave this way in public and I'm going to praise you. And whenever there's uh, teaching or discipline going on or you want to change the outcome, you've got to start with the connection. You know, with Charlie always coming, but look, uh, you know, I love you to death. But when this happens, this is the outcome. Can you understand how that's not good? Can you understand how if this happens every time that we're here? Uh, for instance, when we leave the pool when she was little, she would get upset about leaving the pool. And it would rather than grabbing her and dragging her out and threatening her with, we're not coming back here again if you can't. I understand completely. I don't want to go either. It's terrible going. It's so much fun here, isn't it? Yes, and once you get those little guesses along the way, it's like negotiation. Exactly. Yeah, so we agree this is the most fun ever. We love this time. I'm with you. I want to stay here too. But we need to have dinner. Look at the time. We need to get to bed. So what do you suggest we do? I, I need your help. 
well, Dad, if we stayed for five more minutes, we could still have dinner. Yeah, but, but if we stay for five more minutes, at the end of that five minutes, we'll want to stay for another five minutes. And then what will happen is we'll get home, we won't be able to wash your hair. And then in the morning, we're going to have to rush. And we don't like rushing, do we? And they can see the sense of, and, and, you know, once you, but we can come back, bub. So, you know, don't be upset that it's over. Be happy that it's happened. You're looking at it the, a different way to what I look at it. I think this has been great. And suddenly you've gone, oh, yeah. And then it's like, bub, I really appreciate how grown up that was. Like, you know, that, thank you for making being your dad so easy because it's great. And that's not manipulating or controlling or coercive. It's actually the truth. It's affirming, it's cheerleading, it's empowering, it's um, motivating. It's looking at the glass half full, not half empty. Yeah, that's why I say we can either manipulate, coerce and control or can inspire, model and be the example. So let's, let's take another example where a child is struggling to do homework. And I know homework is the bane of many parents' existence. How do you create buy-in? How do you create a co-creation of, or a, a co, um, yeah, co-creation of an approach to parent to, to um, homework uh, for parents and the children so that they can work together instead of work against each other? Because there's always resistance around homework. And being that we're nearing the end of, of the year, I know there's some last minute assignments that have to happen when the kids are all focused on the holidays and being off of school. How do you get in that last bit of time and focus on homework and assignments before, or exams even before the kids take off for the holidays? It's, it's about being involved. And I understand there are so many of us, you know, I'm a single parent and, um, you know, the last thing I want to do is make anyone feel um, less less than capable or less committed or anything like that because there's so much guilt and shame associated yeah. with parenting, even when we're doing doing the best. And the overwhelming majority of us are doing the best we can with what we have in our situation and circumstances. But if you can set aside some time, some five minutes, ten minutes. What are they, and get involved in whatever it is doing and saying, yeah, look, I understand this is hard, this is boring, this is difficult and there's stuff that you would rather do. I'm with you too. I never used to like it, but you know what happened? Suddenly when I started doing it and forgot about how I felt about it and just go, there's stuff that needs to happen and it's called the stuff that needs to happen because it's stuff that needs to happen. And that's why I say, if you don't think that I would rather be, you know, with you all day than you going off to school and me going off to work. But it's just stuff that's got to happen. So get involved and then just try and try and show them through because you're actually the scaffold yeah. for them to go to the next level. You're also what's known as the other knowledgeable person. So ask them questions. Don't give them the answer. So what do you think? So whenever Charlie asks me a question, well, how do you think you spell it? Oh, you know, I don't think that's it. Try again. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're so close, bub. Like, what would you do different? What makes the E sound on the end of a word 
that's not an E. Why? Oh, great stuff. What other words have why on the end? Can you think of it? Lucky, honey, and there's, wow, like, let's make a list of those. And so there are teachable moments all the time. I'm not a huge fan of structured homework, but again, it comes down to a discipline where there's going to be stuff that they have to do later in life. There's going to be deadlines and timelines with work and all the rest of it that, you know, they mightn't be emotionally invested in. However, it's got to be done. So it's a matter of being involved, but you're helping them, just standing there going, you've got to do it, get it done. Ah, that's not going to get the buy-in or the attitude that's, that's going to help. And seeing them as a frustration is somehow an impediment on your time and what you have to do is going to make them doubt themselves, is going to make them not ask for help, and it's just going to make them um, feel feel like they're causing you you grief rather than actually just wanting to to do it to learn. It also um, it also creates a disconnect in connection between the parent and the child. So if if they're not connecting to the learning because maybe they're fearing the consequences of a parent's wrath or disapproval or anger, um, sometimes that can lead to lying and deception. Do you want to talk about that a bit? That's another big one with parents. I get a lot of parents terrified that because their child's told a lie, they're going to be on the news one day for torturing small animals or they're, they're raising some sociopath that, you know, could be the next Hannibal Lecter. And, and that's why I say lying is a normal developmental part of, of children. They're, they're making sense of the world again. But depending on the reason they're lying and depending on what part you're playing in it. So if they see you saying to, you know, Auntie Jess, you know, I can't really come to the, the barbecue on the weekend because I've got a lot on, I've got this on, and it, it's not the truth. And while it's, it is a lie, it's a lie to avoid hurting someone. The same as if somebody says, you know, I'm sure my partner, when I say, how do I look in this, placates me by saying fine, rather than actually telling me the truth. Our kids see all of that. So, you know, we lie to them about Santa Claus, we lie to them about the tooth fairy, we lie to them, you know, on a regular thing. But if your child is lying to you because they fear punishment, then you're the problem, not them. So if we can encourage our children to tell the truth, and I do it with Charlie by saying, but you know, when something goes wrong and your first instinct is to cover it up, that's when you want to rush in and tell the truth because not only will you not get in trouble for what's happened, you're going to get, you know, kudos and a pat on the back for telling the truth. But every time there's something that happens, never, never, one of the worst things that drives me mad is when parents try and catch their kids in a lie, when they know they've done something and they set them up, you know, they've got the chocolates, the chocolates are empty, you know, and the kids, the wrappers are under you, your child's bed and there's chocolate on the face. And it's like, do you know what happened to the chocolates? You know, rather than, you know, the, the better way, the authoritative way would be, I see you've eaten the chocolates even though I asked you not to. And so they're going to tell you the truth. I can see by the chocolate on your face and the wrappers 
that you've eaten the chocolates and that do you want to know why I asked you not to eat the chocolates and know why? Well, it was important because I wanted to sit down and have them with you or I wanted to go and have dessert, you know, whether we want to go to the shop and get an ice cream and things like that. So there's a reason. But, you know, you could have always come to me and said, Dad, I really, really want those chocolates and I'm having problems doing it. Can we negotiate about it? So by giving them the opportunity to step up and then encourage them, but you've got to make sure that the connection is always secure, even though you may want to, the first reaction is to write, you've lied to me, go to your room. Yeah, That's just going to make them fear getting caught in a lie. It's not going to make them think, right, well, I'm never going to lie again. It's and it doesn't just, teach them. It doesn't no. teach them anything from the situation either. No, you've got to teach them to be truthful when it matters. And, and, and the consequences of, of not telling the truth. There's so many amazing books, age appropriately, of course, um, that talk about lying and deception and even manipulation and bullying and how, you know, one, it's like a, the marble effect, you know, when, when you drop the marble and it kind of creates this domino effect of, of our train reaction effect, um, children really get that because they're able to see how one, uh, marble connects to the next marble or connects to the next item that drops the next the third item that creates that chain reaction and when when we can relate it to children from a visual perspective from or from kind of aesthetic like a hands-on perspective they can begin to see the impact that they have on others and on themselves and that's so powerful because it's a life lesson to be responsible and to be accountable. And it comes from when they're young, planting that seed of, of knowing that chain reaction can cause outcomes that you really didn't desire or intend for them to happen. But because there were certain decisions that you made along the line of uh, that were not the best decisions or unhealthy decisions, they caused the outcome that, that happened. So what could we have done differently? There's this amazing book out of the States. It's called, What Would Danny Do? Um, and it's, what would Danny do at home? What would Danny do at school? And then they just uh, published, what would Danny do on a vacation? This, this year. And it's basically one of those books where you start for a few pages and then you make a decision where to go. And my son loves it because it really hones in the concept of cause and effect, consequences and the outcomes of, of consequences when, when we choose words or actions that are not in alignment with ourselves. Obviously, that's, that's, those are not the words that are used in the book. But um, that's the concept. And it really uh, pushes the point of you can see the good actions and how the outcomes transpire from there. And you can go back and read the, the not so healthy actions and, and the consequences that transpire from there. And I remember his, his class uh, last year, I had gifted it to the school um, because it was such a profound uh, book on him. like it moved him and it really taught him a lot. And they had a bullying issue and I gifted it to the school and it really changed the dynamic and the conversation the teacher had with the children and the children had with each other. Um, so I strongly recommend, uh, they're not an affiliate, we're not affiliate of them, but it is an amazing, amazing, amazing book for any child under the age of, I think, 13. 
Yeah. As parents, we've got to we've got to worry so much that if our first um, instinct or reaction is to reprimand, to judge, to correct, rather than to question and to empathize. Be curious. Yeah. yeah. Empathy is the opposite to control, trying to understand why they've done it rather than trying to control the, the outcome. You've got to think, right, well, when my son or daughter is 15 years old and they're out at a party and they've gotten in trouble, whether there's been drink or drugs or a fight or something involved, do you want to be the last person that they want to find out or the first person they think of calling? Yeah. And you know, and that's where I'd say every time there's a correction needed, um, when there's behaviour that's unacceptable, the first thing that's got to happen is bring it in, come here close, yeah. love and affection and connection, and they've got to know 100% that regardless of the behaviour that is unacceptable, regardless of the consequence that has just happened because of their actions, that the relationship and the connection is fine. So that regardless of what happens, the last thing you want your, your child to do if they're a daughter is to be seeking uh, guidance from somebody that may not have their best interest at heart. You know, your son going along with peer pressure because they're scared to come home and, and be open and be honest. And, you know, Dad, the boys were talking about this is party going on. I want to go and I know you're going to say no. And that's why, well, why do you think I'm going to say no? Well, because there are going to be drugs and, and alcohol there. And then you're going to have discussion. Well, you know how I feel about drugs and alcohol. It's just a no-go. How do you feel about it? Well, I'm the same as you, Dad, but I really want to go to this party. And rather than just putting your foot down and going no, if you really think it's going to be a crisis, well, if I let you go, like if we can come to an agreement, if you can give me a word that the drugs and alcohol aren't going to be in your night, that you're not going to participate, you're not going to let your friends drag you into it and bully you and co coerce you and that you're going to be strong enough to resist it, fine. And as long as you're okay with me picking you up from there, then I can, I can agree to it. So if you can say, yes, I can pick you up, and let's say at midnight, is that acceptable to you? And you can have a negotiation over the time, then I'm going to trust you. You know, like, I know you're a good kid and I know you think, and that's better than having them climb out of the bedroom window and sneak off where everything can go wrong. Yes, exactly. Because then it's with consent, it's with communication, it's with trust, it's with loyalty, it's with integrity. Uh, and I would even go a step further and say, and if you feel that you need to come home early, I will jump in the car and pick you up. Because that is my role and responsibility towards you to make sure that if, if the circumstance that you thought was good turns bad or turns sour, I'm always here to, to pick you up and to take care of you. And the other thing that really shows up for me when you're saying that Michael, is um, if any of this triggers a parent, it comes back to them and not their children because the triggering comes from their own upbringing. It comes from their own fears or their own insecurities. So I include myself in this discussion, obviously, as a parent. If I'm feeling triggered by something my child has said or done, I need to look within 
and not blame my child or deflect or project my issues on my child or children. Because if I haven't done the internal work, my child's going to repeat the cycle. And I know you and I have talked about this a lot. Yeah. And a lot of the times too, I think that we're fearful that we haven't done the work leading up to the age where these things are going to be happening. And um, I'm constantly, as, as a single dad or a solo dad of a daughter, I'm constantly, one of the, the main questions I get asked is, what are you going to do when, you know, puberty happens? What are you going to do when she starts menstruation? What are you going to do, you know, how are you going to cope with this? And that's what I say. If, if you have problems with uh, having conversations around certain topics, it's not the topic, it's the connection that exactly. there's a problem. And because we've had that rock solid connection, there's been nothing, nothing that hasn't been discussed in an age appropriate yeah. way. And there's nothing off, off limit and there's no judge, judgment type thing. Getting through that stuff is just like, like nothing. Um, it, it's, it's not as, exactly, it's not as big of a deal as other people make it because you've planted the seed for, and, and nurtured it which is the connection with Charlie, um, as I've done with my son as well, um, given the difference of age, of course. Um, but um, to, it, to ensure that those conversations can happen later in a way that is enriching and um, more rewarding for them and for us because it's built on that connection. So when we maintain this concept and I know Michael you and I have talked about this a lot as well uh, when we maintain that concept of I love you no matter what and and if you're making a mistake then what can we do to learn from it what can you do to learn from it what could I do to empower you to gain from it so that you're not repeating those mistakes again and because then how are we learning, you know? So, and if you do repeat them, then what do we need to do different? It's, it's that being inquisitive about what's going on in their minds. How are they processing it? How are they viewing it? So that we can assist them in seeing it from a new light so that they can gain the learning from that experience and, and grow from it and thrive. Um, I think that's where true discipline lies because every day is a school day for us and for them. The question is, how are we creating the foundation at home for them to trust us as parents, not to fear us, but to rely on us, not codependently, but confidently to be themselves genuinely in order to discover parts of themselves and grow them in a really healthy training quote-unquote learning environment children don't learn to make good decisions by following orders so you've got to set them up it's like a like a 10-pin bowling alley give them the decisions to make give them the choices and then let them choose then let them examine the outcomes and then reflect on it what happened what now what next three questions that i always say so you know what happened okay what do we do about it now and what should we do about it so it doesn't happen again? As adults, we're basically just got to be the guardrails to stop them going off the edge of the cliff. Let them bounce from side to side until eventually we can remove the guardrails because they can go straight down the middle of life without being tempted near the edge because they want to find where the boundaries are and they need those boundaries to go right. There's a consequence behind that boundary. I'm too young to understand it or be able to grasp it 
eventually, once we're there, there are so many lessons that my dad taught me that now that I'm an adult that I had no idea about. And now when you look back, you go, you know what? He's a lot smarter than what I gave him credit for when I was a know-it-all teenager. You know, my, my dad was brilliant beyond his, his, his years. And, uh, you know, a lot of the times the lessons are all in, in retrospect and you can see how they shaped you. And you can actually see where, gee, I thought I was in control. It reminds me a lot of the bloke at the circus riding around, trying to control a kid, especially a, a teenager when they're out in the world away from you. It's like the bloke on the back of the elephant at the circus. Yeah. You can sit there and watch him go, that's amazing. Look at him controlling that elephant, getting him to do all those tricks. Hey, the minute that elephant wants to do what he wants to do, that bloke is nothing but a passenger. And yeah. it's the same with your kids. So, you know, you might think you're in control and putting all these strict rules without any negotiation in without any input because without input into a decision there's no commitment no no involvement no commitment so let you, yeah and that's what's say if your child wants to go to that party well okay what's going to happen at the party what time will it finish who's going to be there well can we come to this agreement then as i said well i'll pick you up if if me picking you up isn't acceptable then no, I'm sorry, but I'm just not comfortable with the party. So if you can do that for me, then I can do this this thing for her because I want, to, want you to have fun. I want you to be with your friends, but I need to ensure that everything is is okay and, and until we get used to it, until we've practiced these decisions. Yeah. It's creating those boundaries and clarifying expectations, spoken expectations, not unspoken expectations, especially with teenagers to ensure that they understand what we want from them, what they want from themselves that we understand as well that's communicated. And then what we expect to not happen and to happen so that they kind of understand that structure, as you said. It, I, um, I, I went on a road trip, just a quick story. I went on a road trip and um, we went into a farming area and this shepherd, uh, we stopped off. I had a flat tire, I was fixing the tire and we stopped off and this shepherd was just shepherding the sheep. And the flock was moving fluidly, comfortably. It's not like the, the shepherd was holding his stick and like hitting the sheep, but he was just letting them, you know, roam around but anytime they got too close to like the cliff for example or to the road he would just move them comfortably confidently calmly to the side and that's what reminds me of of what you were talking about and how you were defining discipline it's almost like you're there as the shepherd of the children as the solo dad or the solo mom or or the parents together collectively and constantly guiding them but not pressuring them and not controlling them. Because when we control, like you said, it creates, it backfires. It creates resistance. It creates uh, rejection. It creates uh, resentment and a, a lot of other con uh, you know, contentious emotions that can spoil the connection, the bond that is the fundamental component of the relationship. So when we allow them to explore age appropriately, developmentally appropriately, and, and to kind of get a sense of their own identity and their own self-worth and their own uh, independence, but within the guidelines that you've so beautifully defined and clarified, Michael, 
under parenting and discipline styles, they understand that we're there without limitation. So it's not withdrawal or control, uh, withdrawal, withdrawal of love or control of, of our love uh, for them. But it's just about being in that space of, of loving them without limitations and guiding them and enriching them and empowering them to be the best person that they can be. Um, not necessarily a copy of us, hopefully, um, but just to be, you know, who they were meant to be in the world and to watch them, like you were saying, to watch that majestic elephant be, you know, instead of just wanting to rein that elephant in and control them. It's a different framework. And I know a lot of parents have not come from that mindset before or have not viewed it from that mindset. And I know we're encouraging parents, including ourselves, to, to kind of reflect on a, a healthier, more connected uh, connection with our children. Yeah, it, it really seems when you look at some of our discipline, it comes really seems to come from the place where we believe that children are inherently evil, manipulative, little monsters who without our control correction and coercion would you know rule the world in some sort of hunger games type um you know animal farm demagoguery you know the when we hear if you if the child cries and you pick them up all the time then they're just going to cry to get your attention and things like that really like do we really think that that little six-month-old baby has got the the cognitive yeah. ability to function in that way yeah. no such a malevolent mindset that it's <laughs> I'm, I'm controlling you know mum and dad that you know if bubs has had a, a bad day and if i stomp around and you know eventually i'm going to get offered a treat because it happened uh once before you know kids kids don't have a lot of um you know action reaction developmental until later their sense of self is still developing so they're, they're trying to find a way to have a need met so yeah. you've got to understand where it's come from and go what need isn't being met do they need some attention do they feel like you know they're a little bit uh lonely have they been controlled all day and now they just need some freedom you know do yeah. they just need to know they're important you know what can i do and I'd say if you're constantly finding yourself having to have the same battles time and time again, it's your parenting style, not, not your child. So yeah. you've got to find a better way because your child's an individual and your way at the moment isn't working with that individual. The best way to think of it is, do you have the right key to fit into that door to open that child's heart? to address the need that they're looking for that needs to be met or that value that isn't being seen or upheld. With yeah. that, always a pleasure, Michael. Um, many more conversations to come. Remember, these are conversation starters with blokes, their children and women that support them. It's about many men having many conversations. Follow, like, and share us. Also, don't hesitate to comment below. How is your parenting and disciplinary style building a stronger bond between you and your children? And don't hesitate to share with us what you'd like us to talk about in future episodes. See you next time. Bye-bye.